0: Hello and welcome to the Tifo Football Podcast, I'm Joe and today I'm just here uh, to introduce content editor Seb Stafford-Bloor who last week spoke to Jonathan Norcroft about the book that he released a retrospective on the 2018 World Cup which really does sound fantastic, I haven't had a chance to read it yet but I'm definitely going to after listening to this interview. Tifo Tactics will be back as of next week Uh, and yeah, without further ado, here's Seb and Jonathan, thank you very much for listening.
1: Hello, welcome to the latest TFO podcast. Um, so it's going to be the, the latest in our, our series of almost far-side chats with uh, with recently published authors. Um, and today, I'm, I'm really happy to be able to welcome the Sunday Times' Jonathan Northcroft to the pod to, uh, to talk about his, well, not quite World Cup diary, but almost mm. sort of World Cup account, Deadlines and Darts with Delhi. Hi, Johnny. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. How are you? Not too bad. I thought, I mean, it's an interesting one to start with. I... Obviously, going to a um, going to a World Cup as a as a broadsheet journalist is a is a huge undertaking.
0: Um, mm. So, why did you commit yourself to, to so much extra work <laughs> while you were there? <laughs> yeah, I didn't. Uh, I, I didn't really understand when I started the <laughs> what became the book, but it started off as a blog. Exactly what it was going to entail, and if I had, I would never have committed to it at all. Um, <laughs> I uh, I was actually looking just to do something to to fill in. You know, the sort of there are a lot of, sort of dead time a lot of a lot of spare hours at a tournament, and um it depends what your character is but but there's a there 's an element to the tournament as well when you 're covering um, as part of the press pack that it just feels like an enormous school trip you know you 're on the same buses as all the other journalists in the same hotels you hang around together a lot and if you 're a pack animal and you you really you know, you get off and all that great if you, if you like a bit of your own space as I do. Um, you're just sort of looking for, I guess, ways to get a bit of headspace away from all of that and, and just things to, I guess, fill in the time. So I, I decided to just do a bit of blogging on Facebook. Um, in fact, it wasn't really even designed as a blog. I just thought I'd have a bit of fun by picking out a few players that I was going to be watching and uh, maybe have a go at predicting a few results. And when I came to the first one, um, which was a couple of days before the World Cup started, um, I realized I probably needed to give it a bit of an introductory um, spiel. So I, I wrote a couple of paragraphs and, and it, I finally really enjoyed that. And it was from that that my entries sort of became less and less about predicting yeah. play, you know, results and players and longer and longer. And, and I really, really got into it. And, and before I knew it, I'd, I'd come up with about 40,000 words, which... Um, yeah, I'd have called HR if uh, if somebody actually asked me to do that <laughs> on top of my uh, my newspaper work. But uh, it felt like pleasure at the time. One of the um, I, mean, I suppose the book's starting
1: point is your arrival in Russia, but also your immediate experiences tallied against your expectations. Um, I thought that was a really interesting part because I, I, I like you. I mean, um, I had all these sort of visions, and you know, I spoke to people who were going, and and there was yeah. definitely a wariness. Um, what was that like to sort of? How long did it take for you to to sort of realize maybe what I've been reading back home
0: in, in the Western press isn't quite as it as it is? Yeah, it was, I mean, it, it's, it was a funny one because it's not like I'm naive about tournaments. I've been to you know South Africa and Brazil, and um, I'd had sort of you know security briefings and, and and so on about those tournaments because of of situations in in, in that con- those countries and. Obviously, I've been writing about Qatar i've thought a lot about also the, you know, the, the this pattern now we've got of, of of tournaments and competitions being um slightly used as as a sort of political um capital i guess by the countries that are hosting them so I, I think sort of then sort of going blind to the fact that uh, there might be a difference between what we were being told in advance and what, what it was actually like, because we, you know, with South Africa and Brazil, got the huge security briefings, and actually they turned out to be great, great sort of countries those tournaments. Um, but nothing hit me. The difference has never hit me like like Russia did. You know, we we our paper, and we weren't the only one. We we went way over the top with the whole sort of security angle um, uh, there's a lot of paranoia about the Russians spying on us and, and doing this and that you know we, we had this briefing where we were told to tape over the, 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 the uh, lenses of our camera phones because the Russians will find <laughs> some way to get inside your phone and then film you, you know, goodness knows what, 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 they get, what they get out of that with a bunch of football hacks but anyway we were told stuff like that and given special devices to double lock our hotel rooms and then of course you're reading about um, I guess the oppression of, of, of in, in Putin's Russia, and I was I was a bit maybe the first time a bit negative about going to the tournament, and it took me about oh maybe a, a day to just feel completely foolish. I went out in St. Petersburg, I think the second day I was in Russia. It was my birthday, and just found this really vibrant, you know, young, buzzing city, really beautiful, really well kept, just you know, quirky, uh, everything, in, you know, individualistic, everything that, that, that in the West you're told Russia isn't. And there wasn't a security problem. Now, I'm not, you know, I, I'm, I'm sure, I'm not, I didn't take that as that means everything in Russia's brilliant, but it certainly should be pretty quickly that, that um, you know, we've been given a narrative here that, doesn't really square with, with with what the reality is. And one of the things that was interesting was a lot of European countries were the same. But when I spoke to South American journalists or fans or saw them, they didn't get the same um, propaganda, for want of a better word, about Russia as we do. So that they they had no expectations at all. They hadn't been told any of this stuff that we were all told. Where it wasn't just Britain, you know, the, the, the Germans, Dutch, um, Danish, all that sort of stuff. They they, they had the same kind of um, briefings as us and there was a big disconnect between the reality uh, of what the tournament was like and, and what we were told beforehand I think actually it's one of my highlights of the tournament
1: obviously the football itself but also some of the writing that came back and, uh, and some of the, the distances people travelled I remember um, I think I think it was George Culkin went on the the Trans-Siberian yeah. Express and just produced this wonderful piece of writing, which had nothing to do with with yeah. with 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 any. I know he was traveling to a game, but it was really just a little voyage of discovery, and it was um, it was fascinating. It was almost voyeuristic in a way yeah. because you kind of it, it defeated so many assumptions. Um, Brilliant that one. It, it's um, I, I suppose covering England, the the, the way your tournament's going to pan out as a as a journalist following England is, is always going to be slightly defined by the FA. Um, mm. One of the quite on in the book, you you credit the FA with a sort of and Gareth Southgate with with creating a, a better atmosphere to report on. Um, for people for people who, who don't understand what that means and, and what kind of effect that that has on your ability to do your job, what what were the major differences between this tournament and you know the the many others that you've you've reported on in the past?
0: yeah well i mean it does make an enormous difference and i, I think the the, the big the, the, the most fundamental thing was tone. I think it was the first tournament um experience I had where the tone wasn't adversarial in some way or another um that there was a a sort of spirit which ended up being a spirit on both sides actually but but it, you know it, it was reaching out from the f a initially that that actually let's let's be on the same side this time now um I'm not saying that all the previous tournaments I, I, I reported on were exactly the same and 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 there was exactly the same negativity, but it was it was degrees, you know. I I, I went to my first World Cup was '98, and I was covering Scotland, but I also did a bit of England, and I was struck then by this enormous difference between the the coziness of of and friendliness of, of being with Scotland, and then going to La Ball on on the um, coast near Nantes, and just finding this this kind of grandiosity about England and the FA, and an equal on the other side. This this kind of ego about the, the press covering them as well. And you know there, there was a sort of almost idea of of, of of oppositions colliding in every press conference and, and mixer. And I found it really odd. Uh, and then you know 2004, 2006, it was golden generation again. Set 2002, hugely sort of you know inflated, self-important um scenario from from um you know the what the England team was built up as and what journalists covering the england team were were seen as um and it, i think it got better after that but even in two thousand and sixteen you had the the nonsense of um you know Joe Hart kind of making this big mystique about the, the 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 darts tournament that the the England players are yeah, having yeah, with each other yeah um so even that and and then you know Roy Hodgson's tried his best but instinctively Roy isn't really um on board with 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 being you know criticized by 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 press he's just just doesn't doesn't like it and and it was different this was the first one it was different it it was maybe a bit cheesy that the the FA decided that they were going to have this this kind of you know, a hotel games room with a dartboard and bowling alley and and, and pool tables and, and, you know, a Super Bowl-style press conference before where you could speak to any player. But all of these things actually worked. Um, there was a there was an informality about it. There was a mixing with the players. Um, it helps, I think, that there were no really huge megastars anymore. You know, maybe Wayne Rooney was the last. Maybe Harry Kane will be that in a couple of years. But maybe we caught the squad at a time where there wasn't this sort of... Um, Inflation and around any of their their, their kind of um, reputations or whatever. So all that fed into, um, I'd say, the first tournament that that took me back to to 1998 and covering Scotland, and and it was better on both sides because of it.
1: Did you have any? I mean, we're not going to throw anyone under the bus here, but did you have <laughs> any experiences at tournaments? You just thought, I mean, you, you, you're married, you've got a young family. Um, mm. I know people think that sort of a month away from home is just a big, long holiday with lots of football involved. Mm-hmm. But, I, you know, from the descriptions I've read, which are not written by Pete Davis, <laughs> 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 um, it, it, it doesn't really sound like that. It sounds like an awful lot of work with, you know, a lot of pressure. So within that context, were there any times where you just thought, oh, I just uh,
0: I want to go home? Well, it's it's a funny one. I, actually, I, I would say before I had kids, it probably was a a month away, <laughs> 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 and um, I, I, and it does change when you know you're sort of missing your family and all that sort of stuff. Sure. That's a big dynamic. Um, I would I would say that um, probably the oddly enough, probably the closest I came to to feeling that was Brazil. You know, I, I'd always wanted to go to Brazil and 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 you know watch watch football there, and I, I, I just. That, that that soured very very quickly for England. Um, it wasn't much fun um, covering them. They 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 you know they were put upon and they were they were sort of bedraggled pretty quickly and and it, it just felt like a big anti climax. I mean this although this was this was you know I really enjoyed Russia I'm, I'm, and I'm not going to name any this I'm not sure everybody did in in the press if I'm being honest. But what I observed was. Maybe a mix of, of of guys. Some guys did feel under pressure and, and, and didn't enjoy it. And 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 you know, the the, the travel, the logistics became a bit of a uh, yeah a focal point for them rather than the enjoyment of being there. That's that. I guess that's natural when you take um you know forty blokes and and disconnect them from the families and you know send them away somewhere. Difficult for 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 five or six weeks. Um, I think it was a spectrum, and and as I said earlier, you are on this big school trip, and it can be hard to get away from it sometimes. Um, so uh, yeah, it, it's not all. Look, it's better than the real job. But it's always better than a real having a real <laughs> job, but it's not always it's not always fun. Um, I didn't write about many of the negatives because I, I'm not I'm not sure if if you can really Complain, I, 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 I never want to be in the position of complaining about the job we do. Um, but I wouldn't, you know, being honest, it wasn't all rosy for for everybody.
1: I suppose I, so, you're, when you when you have this sort of extra layer of contact with the, with the FA and the England team, and you have that layer of access, and you describe, you know, some of your interactions with the players themselves, throughout the tournament, is it hard? Or at least, how do you retain your sort of impartiality? Because I know you're a Sunday's writer, so it's, it's not quite the same. But your job out there is potentially, if it all goes wrong, to be heavily critical of people who have, who have sort of extended themselves to you and you know, who you presumably developed a little bit of trust with over the, the, the tournament's lifespan. Is that, is that one of the challenges of tournament football when you're
0: assigned to a specific nation? Yeah, it is definitely, uh, and and you know, as you allude, it's probably more of a challenge if you're if you're filing every day and and going back every day for for briefings and press conferences, and also this is this is let's um, let's not be naive and innocent about the media strategy the FA came up with. It was it was clever because they they finally twigged that if you let people in and and befriend them, then they just human nature means that they aren't going to criticise you as much. That's just a fact. Um, I found it quite hard at the end when, um, you know, after Gareth had been so sort of wonderful and cuddly and intelligent and measured and all the sort of things we admired throughout the tournament, um, I felt he was, you know, got, got it wrong against Croatia tactically and was probably shown up a bit um, in the second half of that game uh, and and it didn't feel great having to to. Point all of that out in a piece and and, and write a, yeah. a, a sort of fairly negative backlash. Um, I think it's hard, and and I, this is something I always wrestle with. I think it's hard when you know someone as a human being and you like them to to really um, to be as well, objective, I guess, as the word, because you can sort of start to see it from their point of view. So, you know, we we had a we had a brilliant chat this Sunday. We had a great chat with with Carl Walker at one point where. Kyle gives a really good interview. He's a good talker, but afterwards he sort of hung around at the, um, the sort of the bar, uh, not that we were serving drinks, but of this of this um, you know the, the, the media room that we were in, and just chatted about you know, it, was, it was silly stuff. But he was he was telling us who was a who was the quickest at 100 meters, who was the quickest at 1500 in the in the squad. You know, it was just just kind of that kind of chit chat. He didn't, didn't have to do that and. You went away sort of feeling really warm towards him, and he didn't play well in the last couple of games. But um, yeah, I didn't see anyone put the boot in um, to him because you know I, I guess he made himself liked, and that's that's part of it. And it, it is it is hard. I think it takes a, a real particular objectivity to to really go for somebody that you actually like and 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 be ruthless. But you got you got to try to be as much as possible. And I think it's an ongoing struggle, to be honest, uh, you know, I think it's an ongoing struggle to maintain absolute objectivity as a journalist for, for all sorts of reasons. And I do write about that in the book and I want to be honest about that.
1: One of my, my favourite passages is, is, is taken from the Night England Knocked Out of Columbia. Um, and it would have been very easy, I, I suppose, for you to just to rehash the penalty shootout and to... You know, to to talk about sort of the, the the drama in quite a trite way. You talk about the sort of the, the sound of penalties being taken and and kind of the technique players use when they're striking a football. It's it's, it's lovely. But I, what I wanted to ask is, when you're in that situation, because it's not like reporting on a Premier League game where you know, it comes seven o'clock, everyone's heading home anyway. So you're mm-hmm. you're sat there, and and Jordan Henderson has just missed his penalty. You presumably got you know the the FA support team somewhere close to the press box. You got your other reporters around you. What's it like to be sort of? It's almost a knife edge situation because no one has any any sort of certainty over their immediate working future because you're all either, <laughs> either either on a plane tomorrow or you're you're there for another week to ten days. Is that is that a what what is that like?
0: Well, it is it is. Um, but I mean, more than anything else. In in a penalty shootout, you are so under the cash deadline line, <laughs> that you almost sort of blank out everything a, a, apart from the, the sheer terror of of, of how you're going to possibly file in time because, you know, filing on the whistle is is difficult filing when you what tends to happen in an evening kickoff penalty shootout is that they will then hold the presses they will hold the the section for you and and filing when you know you're not just filing on the whistle but actually holding the paper waiting for your words is is pretty terrifying yeah and i mean in that particular game i think i was i was doing a color piece for the times and i can't remember who i wrote on during the 90 minutes but um a brilliant call actually by Joe here the deputy editor he called me at full time and he said he said yeah your colour piece is fine but actually we need somebody to write on Harry Kane because he's just had a brilliant 90 minutes and you know we're heading to we could be heading to penalties and blah 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 which was a great call but I was as, was, as that shootout was happening I, I was trying to f- Sort of finish off my 900 words <laughs> off the top of the head in half an hour about Harry Kane, which were then going to be defined by what he did with this penalty in the shootout. Um, and uh, I think I pretty much got it ready. And, and when he converted in the shootout, it was like right, fine, Harry, <laughs> I, I can stick to Harry Kane is good. That's a colour piece bang, and I was then able to enjoy it from from then on. And you know, I write, I was about the sound of them taking the penalties. I mean it was actually quite sort of arresting, but I think that sort of brought me out of the writing and I was, I was just sort of mesmerized or orally mesmerized if if that makes sense by, by what was happening. We were in this great pitch position where um, the the, the press seats were, were right down quite low near the pitch and, and at at the same side that the penalty shootout was taking place, got a really privileged view of it. And, um, and I won't forget it. You know, the, just just the the sound of them striking the ball, the the physicality of it. That's that's something that in live match reporting, you know, when you're there, I think I always want to try and get that across. It's a, it's 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 a, it's difficult to fully get across everything that you see in live and what's what doing the senses and and what you're seeing physically and technically from people. But I feel it's really important because so many people experience football on TV and don't go to games or even experience it in clips and yeah. more via social media. And, and the live experience is, is what we should be telling people about because that's, that's why we're there. That's, that's a different perspective that we've got. I feel like um, it's becoming
1: harder to make that point because, I mean, I, I've tried to make it a few times on social media. I mean, you know, perhaps a little clumsily, but it's such a privilege to go to live football. And to not have to pay for it, <laughs> um, and just to, to to be in. I think um, Jonathan Lee wrote a, a wonderful piece before the last Champions League final, when he w- he was just sat in the empty stadium before yes, before the game fantastic. was about to start, and he just talks about all this latent energy in the ground, and it just. I mean, I I don't. I find I, I, it it's, it's hard to sort of characterise the differences beyond the sensory and beyond. Just you yeah, know, the sound of the crowd and and walk outside and you can smell the onions and it, it's all really cliched stuff. But it's 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 really difficult. I mean, I find anyway when I, when I'm asked to do anything which doesn't involve me being at the game, I find it very yeah. very difficult. Just because so no, much you, of what you're you know what you're seeing and, and hearing it, it infuses what you're writing.
0: Absolutely, it, it, it's, I mean, I, I don't identify with that because when you are sometimes asked to report. From you know, watching the game on TV, it's, it's hard to feel. It's hard to almost get up for it to use a, a oh, football. It, it feels fraudulent you know, almost. To, it does. Yeah. It does. You feel flat, don't you? You don't. Yeah. You know, you're not sharp. Your senses aren't sharpened, I guess. So your brain's not as in, in that sort of really heightened state that that has to be, in I think to to write on to to write properly about something that's that's taking place live. Um, I find that. Um, I mean, television is getting better and better and better. So viewers are seeing more and more and more and more of the fine detail. And then you're not seeing that at the game, of course, even if you've got a TV monitor. You're not immersed in the TV. You're you're immersed in what's in front of you. So you've then got this situation where you're at the stadium, but you're not seeing as much of the the granular stuff, perhaps, as um, as the viewer back home. But what you are seeing is, is the real thing and that's that that's you've got to remember that and you've got to try and get that across to people and, and I anyone that's only ever seen Premier League football, for example, or Champions League football on TV, if they went to a game, they would just see how difficult it is. The speed that people press at, the the the, 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 the small spaces and, and very small amounts of time that players have got to get the ball under control. Um you know the, the angles that that you need to make to 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 you know break, break a break a sort of pack defence, make the right run into a space to to get the ball. All of that stuff I just don't think comes across on TV, which flattens the experience a little bit. And of course, TV only shows you what the producer right in the studio wants to show you. Whereas you're sitting at the game, you can you you're in control. You can watch what you like. You can watch the manager on the touchline. You can watch the crowd, and you can see the full thing. Um, and you've got to you've got to try and bring that to life i think i, mean, that's a, that, I think that's a i think that's the the challenge um but that's why i you know if ever I'm offered a choice. And it does happen sometimes. Look, do you really want to go to the game? or do you want to watch it on TV? I always take the live experience because that—that that is the privileged experience still for me. It's interesting. You mentioned
1: Carl Walker earlier. I mean, one, one of the first games I ever reported on was um, was at White Hart Lane, and remember how how shallow that old press box was there. You'd be right yeah. on the touchline, and and um, <sighs> he he in, in the first half he played alongside me, and I, I remember thinking beyond all the normal stuff about you know how the atmosphere feels almost on top of you these guys yeah. are incredible athletes. I mean, the, yeah. the, the, the sort of the intensity of the game and the speed of it. I mean, it's, it's something that's always mentioned on TV and it be like, yeah, the game's too quick and, and all that kind of thing. But mm. when you see it in person, it's, it's staggering. You just think, I mean, I, I'm, 30... I'm, I'm 34 now, so I'm well beyond my athletic prime. <laughs> but even <laughs> when I was younger, I don't think, you know, the idea of, of, of playing that for 20 minutes, just no way. It just, it's incredible.
0: It is. I mean, you know, Jose Mourinho in, in the, um, Man United-Liverpool game he was he, he was raving about Andy Robertson and yeah. said oh yeah I was tired watching him because Mourinho's probably only really seen him on, on TV and even for him being up close watching him running up and down the touchline you know he, he was going on about it in his press conference um, it is to, as I say just just to simply control the ball um, under the, the type of pressing that 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 takes place now is is miraculous. If you, you know you can yeah. relate it to your own five-side football or whatever. <laughs> and it is all about you've that. got to <laughs> see it <laughs> right, yeah, exactly, yeah. Yeah. My my second maybe so. not 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 mine, no <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean another one that in terms of physicality, that that England Columbia game, I mean Yeri Mina, I I developed a bit of a man crush on him after that game because seeing him dominate physically to dominate the box dominate in in the air was just marvelous just the 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 power the leaps the 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 sort of um authority that he had um the mastery over the the sort of situation both boxes was just magnificent to see but you know you watch on tv and it's just a bloke heading the ball from a set piece and you don't see what he's you don't see him having to get above harry Maguire, who'd won every header pretty much in the tournament until then and the, the sort of physical joust that takes place there. So, um, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm getting, getting quite excited just... Just talking. I, I, I tell
1: you it. what, we'll, we'll, we'll go back to, um, <laughs> I think probably what was your favourite moment in the whole tournament. You were, you were in the stadium for Leo Messi's goal against Nigeria. Yeah. Um, yeah. And by a process of deduction and elimination, you rated it as uh, two of your, your, your favourite touches in all your time watching uh, watching live football. Tell us about that well i mean
0: that 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 was um a spellbinding <laughs> moment yeah. and it does relate to what we've been talking about because you needed the context of 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 being in that st petersburg stadium which I'm sure you went to it, Seb. it was a marvelous stadium, wasn't it? Really, really no, I've worked. never been. I've never been there. No, 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 no. Oh, you didn't get no, out no, out, no. I was outside. there.
1: Was, I, I? was on holiday in Cyprus for the tournament. <laughs> there was no World Cup. Oh, sorry. Me. No, oh, gosh, no. I thought you. I thought you, Right, okay. One well. day, one one fine day in the future, but <laughs> one not not day, yet. Because
0: I mean, I'm sure then would be would be fun to watch there. Um, it was it was a great stadium, and um, Messi was was under such pressure going into that game. Of course, Argentina were, uh, under such pressure and such disarray. Um, and there was the the stadium was pretty much dominated by Argentinian fans as well. They travelled in enormous numbers. More South Americans than than Europeans came to the the, the tournament, and um, it was it was just it, it did have one of those knife edge atmospheres. Um, and the opening twenty minutes, I think the goal came with twenty minutes in, had been pretty chaotic. It had been you know San Paulo's Argentina in chaos as usual and um it was almost like a sort of bolt of sunlight coming into the game, this this sort of ball just dropping over Messi's shoulder and he'd made this great run. And it was a touch it was a touch with his thigh to to not only tame this ball that was coming at a very difficult angle, but also being Messi to do that a little bit extra which was to also simultaneously tear up yeah. for the volley at top speed, breaking ahead of the defender, this just incredibly perfect touch, and then the finish with the wrong foot, <laughs> you know, which is mind-boggling to, to do it when you need to. Um, it was just utterly perfect. He had to have the context of the, the the, you know, the pressure that was there. And, on TV, I'm just not sure if 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 he got exactly the angles and the pace and everything that was was taking place. And yeah, and it, it made me think. Yeah, you know, I'm not a Messi fanboy, um, but it made me think. Wow, that is, you know, that is a touch that is unlike anything else I've seen before. That's probably the best touch of football I've ever seen. And it did take me back to 2014, where Messi played this this pass against Belgium to Maria. Which oh, yeah. you can you can find it on on YouTube actually under the greatest pass ever made, and that that is what it felt like at the time. Again, it was a case of it was in Brasilia and it was a case of just seeing, um, well, actually not seeing the pass because it was only messy in the whole world, <laughs> the pass. and the, the just the perfection of the weighting of it and the the, the angle of it, the shape of the pass, um, right into Demirio's path over forty yards was just incredible. Um, and, uh, and yeah, yeah. I mean, it, 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 it was, it was something, you know, I know will be, will anyone, any of us that have seen Messi will be telling their, their grandkids about him and I'll certainly be talking about that particular game, that that particular night.
1: I think it's one, it's one of those things, I, I think for, for when you see him play live, he's one of those few players mm-hmm. you think, this is something I have to take off, you know, because Absolutely. it's, it's also, I, I find it strange. I, I know we live in this, uh, weird binary world where to like Leo Messi is to is to hate Cristiano Ronaldo and vice versa <laughs> which I don't know it just seems counter to the spirit yeah. of the game really uh, counter uh, the spirit of the game um, I suppose actually now that we've talked about Messi we'll get a whole army of uh, Ronaldo acolytes <laughs> underneath the video commenting um, oh yeah <laughs> you will Johnny thank you so much I, I, just before we go I'll make you blush I, 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 for anyone listening this is not just a rehash of the tournament this is not a a blow-by-blow account of what England did or what anybody did or, or sort of match-to-match. Match. It's a, I, I, say, I think i describe it as kind of um, a, you know, a, a long list of, of sort of unique asides. Um And I rattled through it in a couple of days. It's great. its uh, I wasn't, I, I, full disclosure, when I opened it, I wasn't sure I was ready to go back to the World Cup. Um, <laughs> but that's not really an issue. And it's, um, for something which started uh, so informally, it has come out remarkably well. Um, and I thoroughly enjoyed it.
0: I'm really chuffed that you did, and thanks thanks for uh, letting me on to talk about it. I'm, uh, I've had a little sort of 20 minutes of reliving it myself, but <laughs> it's quite pleasant. Absolutely, <laughs> Thank you very much. Thanks. Cheers. Thank you.